Today's reading is Proverbs 1, 1 through 7. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. My name is Daniel Long. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace. I'm going to pray, uh, and then we will get into God's word. Um, So will you pray with me? God, I thank you that we are here. I thank you that you give us your word. I ask now that we would receive it um, with openness, knowing that you want to speak to us. Um, I'm grateful that you are a God who is present, that you are a God who gives of himself, and I pray that we would be people who receive. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I don't know if you knew this, I didn't really find out till Friday, or Thursday or Friday, but the world was supposed to end yesterday. I know. So either that person was wrong, or... Well, I don't need, well, something's going on that I can't even explain. But so, the, so there was this thing going around on Facebook where there's this, this Christian numerologist who'd figured out that, that yesterday was the day. And, um, and it's easy to kind of, I, would, I, found my, I found it easy to kind of look at that and be like, oh no, there's that like, crazy uncle that you just don't want anyone to know about um, who's part of your family. Uh, but I started to think about this kind of desire that this person had to kind of create or make some sense of the world in some way, uh, and to offer some semblance of understanding or uh, certainty, so that, because right now, I think that we live in a time, in a place where there's a lot of fear, and often when there's fear, um, one thing we want is we want to know we want to know, right? We want to be certain about, cer- about different things. Uh, and um, I just think that's a common, a common thing that I notice or that I'm seeing in the world, whether it has to be with news about, well, you need to listen to this person or not listen to this person, listen to this news, not that news. Um, or whether it's, it's uh, statements that come up that people uh, are supposed to sign to, to, so that you know that you're on the right side of things. Um, and there's this, this level of desire for people, for me, for us, to be certain and to be right. And it made me start thinking about the Proverbs, in particular, Proverbs 1, and it made me start thinking about wisdom. Because often, the biblical vision of what it means to live life well is not to live a life toward rightness and certainty, but to live a life toward wisdom and trust. 
And so we're going to look at the beginning of the book of Proverbs because I think it offers a vision of life that is extremely compelling and extremely helpful. Now the Proverbs, or the wisdom literature in general, so that would be Proverbs, Job, and Ecclesiastes, these, these books are, are pretty earthy, that they want to kind of offer a sense of the world that really takes into account our daily lives and what it means to live like human beings in the world. And so the book of Proverbs, you have like little bits and pieces that actually talks about how do you be in relationship with each other, how do you spend your money, um, what type of friends you should have and not have, because it's really concerned with living a good life. And for, Pro- for me, Proverbs is one of those books that, that I've actually found pretty uninteresting for a long time. Because I really like narrative, and I really like stories, and, and I really like this idea of kind of, of things needing to be, to be looked at from different angles and interpreted in different ways. And I find that really interesting, where the Proverbs offer something what feels like really simplistic. But there's also something really beautiful to that. And there's something really beautiful to the wisdom literature in general, because they're in constant dialogue with each other. I used to have an Old Testament professor who would say this, that Proverbs suggest that, well, if you live life this way, then it will work, and it will be good. Job says, I did all of that, and it doesn't. And, and I was thinking, and I've thought about that, I'm like, wow, that's really interesting that you can have these two books, right? Well, it's one that seems really simple. And then you have Job, who's, this, who's living this holy life, and his world is completely... It's not like A plus B equals C. And then you have the book of Ecclesiastes, which is, is so awesome, but yet so dark, and saying, well, you know, this is, everything is vanity, and just all you can do is to eat, drink, and be merry, merry and, and, and fear the Lord, which just sounds really depressing. But it, sa- it says something about life that we need a sense of, of understanding to be helped in living life now. And the Proverbs offers basically like this curriculum for living a good life, that all of these sages got together, collected these, these sayings, these Proverbs, and says, here, this is what it might look like to live a life that is lived well. And so we're going to kind of look at this vision, and it's on, we're going to spend most of the time in the first seven verses of Proverbs. So if you want to turn there, you can. Um, Proverbs 1. Oh, and just by way of of being helpful, if you're ever going to read Proverbs, the key to reading Proverbs is to not read big chunks. It actually wasn't written so that you would read long chunks of it. It was written for these these pithy statements so that you can kind of chew on them and think about them. Um, But as we have in the first chapter of Proverbs, it's basically these guidelines for for why these sayings have been collected. So verse 1, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to to receive instruction in wise dealing in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth, let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So here's some of the big ideas that we're going to talk about this morning. 
So we're going to talk about wisdom. We're going to talk about um, instruction, uh, obedience, and fear of the Lord. So in these first seven verses here, are some of the big, the big things that we'll kind of touch on. And so right away, it suggests that these Proverbs are given to us to know wisdom and to know instruction. So one thing you, I, you should know about the word instruction, the Hebrew word is actually musar, which can be interpreted as instruction or discipline. So to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing in righteousness, justice, and equity. The vision that Proverbs offers for what it means to live a good life right here at the beginning is actually countercultural. Because what do we want in terms of acquiring knowledge? Actually, knowledge... In our day and age, we acquire knowledge in some ways so that we can actually get ahead in life. Knowledge then becomes a form of power. Because we want to at least know what everyone else knows, but if we kind of want to have an edge, we need to know something more than other people know. But the reason for these Proverbs and the reason for knowledge and wisdom as suggested by the Proverbs is to live a life that is marked by righteousness, justice, and equity. I mean, how is that for a vision of knowledge? How would that actually shape our way of thinking in terms of education or in teaching our children that we would desire to teach in such a way that the goal of our instruction would be that they would be righteous, just, and equitable? I mean, that's pretty amazing, and it's actually countercultural in a world where knowledge is power. So wisdom, wisdom actually takes into account God, but also others. Because righteousness, that, in, that involves God. Justice and being equitable, that involves other people. So to be wise people who receive instruction is to be concerned with God and with others. So the one who is wise aims at goodness, not power. This is the sage's view of what it means to be a person who is full of knowledge and wisdom. See, the Bible shows no interest in abstract knowledge. The Bible actually isn't interested in what we know. Because if what we know doesn't actually produce within us a desire to be for other people and to love well, then it's actually useless. And it, it doesn't matter. And so is that our view of knowledge? Is that our view of wisdom and pursuing after a life well lived? See, and there's a sense in which here that wisdom then is connected and so deeply attached to humility. Now, if you will, if you can turn your Bibles to Proverbs 30, which is towards the end. So Proverbs 30, in verse, verse 1, it says, These are the words of, of Agur, son of Jekai, the oracle. So, so these pro, what is going to be said now is from one of these sages, one of these wise sages names, named Agur, or Agur. I don't know how you say his name. But he says, The man declares, I am weary, O God, I am weary, O God, and worn out. Surely I am too stupid to be a man. I have not the understanding of a man. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. So is, is Agur here just insecure? 
Or is he perhaps like offering us a way or a piece of what it means to be wise? Because we, if you think about where this is placed in the book of Proverbs, we've just gone through 29 chapters, right, of all of these statements that suggest A plus B equals C. If you do this, then this will happen. And so we might be, if we were reading through Proverbs, if the, one of these students was reading through this book, have a sense of confidence. Okay, I've got, I understand life. I've got a hold on it. And then we get to 30, and we see this, in, this amazing example of humility that suggests you can actually know all of this, and yet part of being wise is to recognize that you don't know. That, that you, that we, haven't yet learned wisdom. It's what the Old Testament scholar Ellen Davis calls wise ignorance. That wisdom takes into account its own foolishness and the possibility of being a fool. So, see, Jesus actually does this really well in his teaching. And I'm thinking specifically of John chapter 9 in the story of the blind man, where you have a man who's born blind and who receives like incremental sight, but he is actually able to see more clearly in that text than the Pharisees who think they have actually had sight their whole life and can see so much, they are in fact the ones who are blind. Which is to suggest by Jesus that the one who is able to see is the one who kind of takes into account their own blindness. And so wisdom is the same way. To be a wise person, to live a life well, is to actually have some humility and to recognize that you are also probably ignorant. That's humbling. And that's totally countercultural. Because that's not power. That's not competence. No, that's actually wisdom. To say, yes, I think it works this way, but it's also possible that I may not know. It is possible that I may be a fool. It is possible, in the words of Proverbs 30, that I am too stupid to be a man, and I have not the understanding of a man. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I the knowledge of the Holy One. And there are some, there are some Proverbs that speak to this connection between pride being the opposite of wisdom, if you can show those, Jake. So Proverbs 11:2 says, When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. Proverbs 13.10, when there is strife, there is pride, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. See, it's humility, this posture of humility that makes wisdom possible, which then makes it possible to live a life toward righteousness and justice and equity. Now, if we look at verses 5 to 6, if you want to turn back to Proverbs 1, we'll look at these, these big ideas of discipline or instruction and obedience, which, let's be honest, our words, well, the next, honestly, like the last three, wisdom isn't, is, yeah, it sounds good, but like instruction, discipline, obedience, and fear of the Lord, those aren't like words, I don't want to, let's not talk about those. Those sound like, those just sound bad. So, but Proverbs seems to suggest this is actually part of, of what it means to live a good life. So verses five and six said, let the wise hear an increase in learning, and the one who understands obtained guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. Let the wise hear an increase in learning, and the one who understands obtained guidance. 
Another way to kind of to translate that is to acquire skill, which is to suggest that living a good life of wisdom, it means that we are people who are disciplined in that we cultivate a life well lived. That it's something that, that we acquire skill at living a good life, which means practices are involved. See, living a good life doesn't just happen by accident. Otherwise, because if, if, we just don't live, and then all of a sudden we, we wake up and like, man, I've lived a pretty good life. No, living a good life takes skill. I was thinking about the um, Breaking Bad. The, I don't know if you saw the show. It's a great show. It's a rough journey, but I, I don't know if you should take it if you haven't already, but it is awesome. But anyway, it's, it, it shows this character, um, Walter White, who honestly lives this life that is totally reactionary. Like, part of the, 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 the interesting thing about that show and why we kind of watch, we want to be with him all the way through, is because it seems like he's put into these positions where he doesn't necessarily have a good choice to make. And he just kind of needs to make the best one. And it's like, wow, man, what would I do in that situation? Or it seems like he has no choice. Hey, look, look like where he's found himself. But the whole thing, the whole premise of the show actually begins with him simply reacting to a circumstance in his life that kind of sets off this chain of events that really turns him into a villain at the end of the day. And it's a fascinating transformation. But it's one that actually takes place because he wasn't cultivating or making decisions in a life that would be contrary to something, but rather was, was simply reacting to what was going on before him. Proverbs says to live a life well, to, to be wise, is to be one who cultivates a good life, who is actually disciplined in the things that they do, and how they interact with people, and how they interact with God, that it doesn't happen by accident. And then con- closely connected to this is the idea of obedience. In fact, you obtain guidance by following others, by following God, and receiving their instruction. Now, there's a key word here in verse 5, which says, let the wise hear. And then that word hear is actually taken up again in verse 8, if you look down, which is, hear, my son, your father's instruction. See, this word hear, which is the Hebrew word shema, is so central to obedience because the Israelite vision of life is is one who listens and obeys. That to hear is to actually then do. To, To live a life that listens to God is to live a life in obedience to God. And certainly, this word hear, for for a Jewish reader, would hearken back to Deuteronomy 6, which is called the Shema, which is, Hear, O Israel. The Lord your God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. That to listen and to hear is to be one who loves God. And then our love to God takes the form of obedience. 
But then also, because of this being contained in the book of Proverbs, being collected by sages, and, and to, to, in verse 8, hearing the Father's instruction, suggests that, that it's obedience to God, and it's following God, but it's also following other people. That to be wise is to follow each other in the direction toward God that we actually don't make up our own lives, right? That we are not autonomous. And this is why I think these two words in particular, discipline and obedience, is hard to hear in a 21st century context because I don't need anybody else but me. I got this. I know what to do. I can actually determine the course of my own life. It's so interesting that we've become a culture, and I'm actually taking a class at Cal State, and um, it's so fascinating to see all these students where we have, we have such a, we're so anti-history in the sense that we don't often take into account things that have happened before, and we certainly don't often consider, at least deeply, the words of other people and those who have lived before us. Because what's most important is me in the present and what my future will be. And the proverb says, no, that's not a wise life. A life that is well-lived and a life that is marked by wisdom is a life that it takes into account others who have come before us and, and a life that is humble enough to say, I need your instruction. I need what you have to offer. I need your voice in my life and in the direction of my life. I mean, that, what would that be like if we were a community who, who operated in that way? If we were actually so concerned with being wise people that I would go to you, or you would come to me, or whomever, and you'd say, look, I don't, help me, what should I do? What would you do? But we have this wealth, this wealth of wisdom that we don't often take advantage of, which might very well make us foolish. So look at Proverbs, or I think it'll go up there, but Proverbs 15, 32 through 33 says this, Whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. The fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom, and humility comes before honor. Again, Wisdom, receiving instruction, fear of the Lord, being humble. And so that's, this is the final, final big idea, and that's where Proverbs 1, 1 through 7 ends, before kind of going into um, the Proverbs themselves. But it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And so what is meant here by the fear of the Lord? Now I'm going to be honest, it's one of these things that I, I'm still on the fence about what I think about this term. Because you hear different things about like reverence. It just means reverence. It's not to be afraid of God, right? It, it, it's to be in awe of who God is. And I don't know, I feel like those are just, that's just too simplistic of a way of thinking about it in those binary terms. Because if you look in the text of Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, there's a sense in which when people encountered God, there was a real sense of trepidation, a real sense of fear of coming up against something that they actually didn't understand or could articulate anything about 
or make sense of. But then you have like this, this, this sense in which the Bible and, and Jesus revealing who God is and perfect love casts out fear. And then you have the angels constantly telling people, you know, in the New Testament, do not be afraid. So there's just this idea of fearing God, I think, is such a big topic that's worth our constant consideration. But one thing I think is going on in fearing the Lord is it actually has more to do with what we recognize about ourselves. Now, if you were to come up against God, if you were to encounter God, one thing that would become immediately clear is that you are not that God. And I think that would freak me out more than I would like to admit. Because I live life a lot of the time as if I am that God. But then all of a sudden, if I come up against or encounter Christ, if I encounter the Holy God, then I realize, oh, this whole thing isn't about me after all. And that freaks me out a bit. I mean, when you see, especially in Isaiah, when Isaiah gets this glimpse of God, he can't help but recognize who he himself is. I'm a man of unclean lips. I mean, when you, when you encounter God, when you have a fear of the Lord, that is the beginning of knowledge because you are actually taken out of the center of the story. And you are a part of that story, but the story is not simply about you. But God is the one who's telling the story. So is it fearing God of like what he might do to you? I don't necessarily see that, that I would be afraid of what God would do to me. But certainly encountering God and thinking about God being the one who is in control, the one who, who my life is to be accountable to, that reminds me that I am under the lordship of Jesus. And I wonder if there's some, that, some things that might help us with this. Like, I've talked to people who've gotten married, and their wedding day is the absolutely most terrifying time of their life. And and I think for good reason, as they've described it. It's not like, oh no, I don't know. If this is good. No, it's more like they say, I didn't realize what I was getting myself into. I am on holy ground. Or when you're holding a child, your own child for the first time, and there's that sense of joy, but then absolute fear because they don't come with instruction manuals. And you are thinking, how am I going to do this? My life isn't about me anymore. I mean, those are moments, right, where there's, there's just all of these awe-inspiring emotions where you can't really articulate it clearly. Yes, I'm joyful, but yes, I'm terrified. Encountering God is... I would like to think the same way, and that is why it's the beginning of knowledge. It's coming up against something and realizing, okay, this isn't about me, and it's much bigger than I ever thought it was. Because that is the place from which we are to live. A place that recognizes 
that we are a part of what God is doing. And it requires an incredible sense of trust. Does it not? So we have, in the book, at least in these first seven verses, a movement from being wise to receiving instruction and, and to following and, and um, obeying to the sense of fearing the Lord, where wisdom and trust and who this God is are absolutely connected and can't be detached. And as I was thinking about attempting to be someone who might be wise and consider over the last few months as a church what might be a common thread through the things that God has through the people who've been speaking and what God has been saying and as I thought about that the word that immediately comes to mind is this idea of trust through all these different preachers right and speakers even if we, we didn't have, like, this grand theme, hey, we're going to talk about trust. For whatever reason, for me, this is one of the words that keeps emerging. And it makes me wonder if perhaps we're at a time as a church, in particular, local community, I'm talking about Grace Long Beach specifically, and I think maybe it's true of the broader church in general, that we are at a time where God is calling us to an insane amount of trust in who he is, and what he's doing, and that this is his church and not ours. Now, I was thinking about, and, and I just wrote some of these things down, of the different speakers and kind of their big themes, right? So we had Jonathan Anderson talking about Genesis 1, and one of the things that he brought out of there was trusting that the deepest reality of, of existence as shown by God's creation is, is of a world of peace. And we had Jesse Cromer who was talking about Cain and Abel and he was talking about trusting in God's goodness. Then we looked at the book of, of Exodus, the end of Exodus, trusting that God would see us and would hear us. Eric Balmer talked about the storms of our lives and Jesus walking on water and telling us to not be afraid that we would trust in this God who parted the Red Sea and who, like Jesus, would come toward us. Alex talked about trusting that we would find God in the valleys of our lives. Jason Baer talked about, talked about the idea of limitations and trusting God even in this idea if we are people who are limited. We looked at the book of Ruth, trusting that God involves everyone in his story. Alex talked about being obedient before understanding and trusting that what God, what God calls us to, we can we can obey, we can follow, because it is God who is asking. And certainly last week, Steve Porter talking about hope and trusting in Habakkuk, right? We can hope because we are a people who are able to lament and we are a people who are able to hope that God might do something new. Now, why, is, why might that be a word for us as a community? Trust. Not being certain, not being right, not being the people who know better than others, but people who are wise, who receive instruction, who obey, and who fear the Lord because He's a God we can trust. 
mean, I, I don't know, I don't necessarily know what to do with that word for us. But I think it's something that we as a community need to consider together and ask the question, are we a community who trusts God? Are we a community who, first and foremost, is seeking to be wise and not right and not certain? But can we open ourselves up in vulnerability to this God who has called us to be a church to Long Beach in the 21st century? Because that is really what he's called us to do. And I believe that God is continually calling us to himself. But we need to be wise people who attend to that call, and we need to be wise people who so deeply trust in that call. Let's pray. God, I don't know, I'm not certain what it is you have for us. But God, I want us to be wise. I want us to be people who are open to your instruction, who are willing to follow you and others, to be people who recognize that we are not you, but we are people who can trust you because you, God, our God who has revealed himself in Jesus is one who is compassionate, is one who moves toward his people, is one who loves, is one who takes on the brokenness of the world, and one who defeats death and who can give us hope. God, I know because we are a church, you've called us to bear witness to the reality of who you are. So give us the strength to do that and help us to do it in a way that is wise and that is trusting. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.